Welcome to a new episode of Land Grant Holy Land in Conversation. My name is Matt Tamanini. On this podcast, we talk to people in and around Ohio State athletics and the sporting world at large to bring you a different insight and perspective to the teams, athletes, and university that you love. On today's episode, we are in conversation with Pro Football Focus and Cleveland.com football analyst and San Diego's Mount Carmel High School defensive coordinator, Deontay Lee. Deontay is quickly becoming one of the most interesting college football analysts around and an absolute must-follow on Twitter as he brings a keen coach's eye to his media work while also understanding what a fan needs and wants to know. In our conversation, Deontay breaks down why Ohio State's passing defense was so unbelievably bad last year, what Kerry Combs is doing with his scheme adjustments to make sure that it's better this year, how OSU fans will be able to tell if they are in fact improved from 2020 in the defensive backfield, what JT Tuomaloau and Pallier Note Note would bring to the defense, and much, much more. So, with all of that out of the way, here's my conversation with Deontay Lee. So Ohio State is coming off a season last year where their defense, especially the past defense, was, I don't think it's unfair to say, historically bad from an Ohio State perspective. You know, just in the raw data, they were like the 122nd worst pass defense in the country, and there's only 127 teams that played last year. So what exactly went wrong? Was it a was it a, just a case of not having the right personnel? Was it that Kerry Combs came in to kind of reconfigure the defense and then had the year blown up by COVID and wasn't able to implement it? Was it just the skill sets of the players that he had not matching what he wanted to do? What was the problem with Ohio State's 2020 defense? Um, I think you kind of touched on a little bit of it. it. It's really never as simple as any one thing and typically not as complex as a thousand things happening at once. It's typically just like, you know, a little percentage here, a little percentage there. So on one end, and this is something that I think that Ohio State fans maybe kind of lost track of as the years went by, there were generational pass rushers after generational pass rusher after generational pass mm-hmm. rushers that they had up front. Um, eventually, you are just going to have a year where you don't have a guy that's quite like that. That's not to take anything away from like Tommy Togiai and the rest of the interior defensive line, because those guys ended up winning big games for them. You know, the Clemson game in particular, totally. you could think about the way that they dominated up front and basically changed the entire game plan for the Tigers in that playoff game. So there's, you know, a personnel issue up front. Then you're talking about turning over your entire defensive back room after 2019, basically outside of Sean Wade. Um, And now you have all of these young guys playing defensive back. And I think it was clear by the end of the year that Kerry Combs and Ryan Day just did not trust those guys to be out on the field. And that's how you end up in situations where you're really locked into your base personnel. Um, And that was their best 11 guys. So I think while we're all sitting at home and we can all obviously see that there are matchup issues and coverage issues based on some of the teams and the passing offenses that they were seeing, I do think that there was an element of this is just the best that we've got and we've got to try to manage it as well as we can. Um, And then from, you know, from the coaching perspective, and I think that Ohio State fans maybe have a better grasp on this than some fans do, especially in some of the conversations that that I saw being had after the national championship game. I think it's pretty clear that Ryan Day has a very specific vision of the way that he wants football to be played at Ohio State while he's the Mm -hmm. head coach. 
And part of that is that it's clear that he has a belief that very good defenses are able to play cover three and cover one. And we're going to get after the, we're going to get after the quarterback with the four man pass rush. And more times than not, Ohio State will have players good that are good enough in order to get that done. So now really the conversation is just elevating for Ohio State, which is to say that, you know, if we're going to make sure that we are always on the level of an Alabama, of a Georgia, of a Clemson, do we need to make certain adjustments for those teams? I, I think that basically no matter what they do, as long as they continue to recruit the way that they're recruiting and they have a head coach that is able to put points on the board the way that Ryan Day and his offense is able to, they'll be able to get away with it in the Big Ten and their non-conference more times than not. Now the conversation is just like, okay, for these handful of teams that mm -hmm. we expect to compete for national titles every year, are they going to have the personnel and the scheme to be able to get that done? And, you know, we'll see as they make these transitions defensively. So what is it that would allow them, assuming, like you said, recruiting, one of the issues, the reason that they didn't have the personnel last season was because they were really working on a bunch of defensive backs that Kerry Combs did not recruit. A lot of those right. guys came in in the time that he was with the Tennessee Titans. And now that he's back, even if you have some qualms about how he led the defense last year, there is no doubt that he is an elite recruiter, especially uh, on the back end of the defense. So if we assume that Ohio State is able to get some high-quality, high-level defensive backs into the program over the next few years, what is it about their defense? What does their scheme need to be to be able to compete with the Alabamas, with the Clemsons, with the Georgias, with the Oklahomas, even as a more pass-friendly um, offense, if they're going to have the talent, what do they need to be moving towards to be able to compete at the highest level, assuming that they will just beat teams in the Big Ten by talent alone and don't need to cater their defensive a defensive approach to beat a Wisconsin or a Northwestern? Right. I think that, you know, if we're looking at Combs as maybe kind of a guy who's coming from the NFL back to the college game, if you were to look at the way that Tennessee played one thing that they were very good while he was um, coordinating the defense of the Titans. Um, They're very good at finding different ways to manufacture pressure. And there were times throughout the season where on third downs and things like that, where you could kind of see a little bit of his thumbprint on like the third down pressure packages, um, you know, whether it's blitzing defensive backs, dropping defensive ends and playing a different coverage, like those types of things did come up from time to time. I just think it was clear, you know, as the season continued to go on that he was not comfortable building on some of those things. So with the assumption that he's more comfortable with the talent that he has, he's gone out and been able to recruit guys that fit what the, what he's after on the defensive end. We'll probably see a little bit more of a diverse defense on passing downs. I don't think what I what I would caution anybody to expect is as they move towards a 425 that you would see something where they're playing a lot of cover four all of a sudden. I don't think that that's something that's going to happen, especially not on like first and second down. Um, I, I, I do believe that Ryan Day's belief of playing um, cover one and cover three is going to carry over as part of their base defensive package. What's going to be important is when you play teams that are more proficient with passing the football. And that is, you know, as we were talking about these powerhouse programs that are recruiting great quarterbacks and have great offensive systems and talented wide receivers, we'll probably just start to see a more diverse package of coverages and pressures on obvious passing situations. And that's something that they were sorely missing against their best competition, you know, this past season. So for the laymen who are not X's and O's gurus, especially on the defensive side uh, of the football, 
Can you give just like a basic explainer in just a couple sentences as to what you mean by cover one, cover three, cover four, and and how a fan, if they're watching just a regular game on TV, not an all 22 film, how they're able to differentiate what that is that Ohio State is doing on any given play? Um, So I like to use other teams as um, examples when we're talking about this. So when we're talking about cover three and cover one, um, if you're a fan of Ohio State and you watch the NFL, which I'm assuming that you do, um, the Seahawks from 2012 to 2014, so like the peak of the Legion of Boom, that's a lot of cover one and cover three where, you know, you've got a safety in the middle of the field. Everybody is covered in man to man or, you know, everybody's just covered up. There's a body for a body near the line of scrimmage. So when you see a lot of bodies near the line of scrimmage, typically that's a tell that you're playing some kind of cover three. Um, We're talking about cover four. Now you will be talking more along the lines of, if I'm looking for an NFL comparison, what the Rams did this past year. Um, Another cover one team, a team that plays a lot of cover one this past year in the NFL were the Cleveland Browns. So um, there is a good kind of corollary there. So in in terms of cover four, you're talking about two deep safeties. Um, You're thinking like your old school four, three stuff. This is actually something that, Ohio State did a lot of when um, D'Antonio was the defensive mm-hmm. coordinator in the early 2000s. So that is, you know, that kind of system of defense under Jim Treschel when he was a head coach. That's kind of what I'm talking about when we say like cover four, like very old school, four down linemen, three linebackers, four DBs playing a balanced type of coverage. Um, you know, that that's kind of what I'm talking about when I say cover four. So as we look at this this idea that Ryan Day prefers to have the cover one, cover three defense, when you look at who Ohio State is going to be running out there on the back end of the defense this coming year, and like you said, last year it was a ton of young guys. They're obviously moving to this 4-2-5 where you're going to have this combo linebacker defensive back in this bullet position next year who are the guys that you think fit that system most and whether or not they're starters because at this point who knows but who do you think fits in that vision of defense that Ohio State currently has on the roster that might be able to excel in either the cover one or cover three so that's where it gets kind of interesting because so many of their younger guys missed out on reps so it's it's difficult to project yeah where guys are going to fit exactly. One thing that I will say that I'm very confident in is watching a guy like Seven Banks as an outside corner last year, the way that he performed, if I'm an Ohio State fan, I'm feeling very encouraged yeah. uh, because he was he was kind of thrown, thrown into the fire as a young DB. And I think that he performed very well. Even in the national championship game, I thought that he performed very well. So, you know, from that perspective, and I think that that's almost more important when we're talking about the defense than the bullet position itself is the ability to have corners that can stand up on an island, you know, in one-on-one coverage. And, you know, you can, you can trust the fact that he can handle that matchup. That was a big issue for them last year. Sean Wade, for all of his talents, and I do think that he's got speed when he's healthy and he has length, he, he better fits playing guys in the slot where he has a physical size advantage on guys. And he has a speed advantage on most slot receivers. When he went outside, I think the people could kind of see that he was a little bit uncomfortable with being out on that island. And offenses were able to kind of pick up on that with their best receivers. So I don't think that that's going to be the same kind of issue this season as it was last year. But yeah, as far as like projecting guys for that particular spot, it's difficult to say because so many guys did not get reps. I would imagine that they're going to use a safety there early. It's just going to be kind of like, you know, whoever the third best safety is, 
is going to play that bullet position on first and second down. And then if Kerry Coons feels good about his corner room, which I imagine he will after getting a full offseason to actually work with the guys throughout, um, you know, the spring and then going into the fall, we'll probably see a corner playing there when there are obvious passing situations. So that would be my best guess. But don't be surprised early in the season if you see a lot of guys rotating in and out at that bullet position. Yeah, there's been talk of guys like, uh, Craig Young, who comes from a more linebacker background, and then there's Ronnie Hickman, who comes from more of the safety background, and then there's Court Williams, who I think a lot of people expected to almost be a starter last season and then got hurt literally the week before the season started, who's kind of tailor-made for that bullet position. So it'll be a lot of uh, interesting guys hopefully getting some playing time that they did not get last season. But when we talk about this four-two-five, I think people kind of understand it because this is not a foreign concept to Ohio State. This is something that the Buckeyes ran a decade or so ago before Urban Meyer got there. This was something that we have seen this position for the Scarlet and Gray before. But what are the advantages of going from the traditional 4-3 look that they've kind of used in recent years to going to a 4-2-5 where you could have a linebacker still in there if you need him on running uh, on running downs or on passing downs running in a DB to play that spot instead? I mean, you kind of explained it. It just opens up your flexibility defensively. So, you know, one of the plays, you know, I, I kind of exist in between football media and coaching on so you know on social media and one of the defining plays a clip that I saw everywhere you know no matter where I looked you know after the national championship game was tough Borland trying to run up the field with Devontae Smith so ugly so painful and that's one of those you know obvious scenarios where as soon as you see it you know it's an issue and everybody can point out the fact that that's an issue Having having a guy who is a little bit better of an athlete to play the bullet position makes it more likely that you don't end up in matchups like that. You can protect guys who do not thrive in coverage downfield. So that's really, to me, the most important thing. And as you said, in situations where you're playing a Wisconsin that's going to play with a lot of tight ends, it's going to play with fullbacks, and you need to focus on stopping the run. It's going to fit you to just play more like a true 4-3, and then you can just drop a linebacker in the bullet position. Same when you're playing like an Oregon. Like Mario Cristobal likes to play with a lot of tight ends. He wants to run the ball downhill a lot and give you a lot of play-action looks. A guy like Court Williams who kind of, you know, teeters that line between linebacker size with defensive back movement skills, he would fit in those scenarios because Oregon does have some good athletes out there as well. Um, and then when you start talking about playing the teams that are more spread out. So if you do see a Clemson again, um, if you do see a Georgia in a playoff scenario, uh, when you're playing against an Indiana, who's going to give you a little bit more spread stuff, yeah. you'll have the ability to say, Hey, now we're going to play with corners and safeties instead, you know, and now we can kind of make investments in our resources elsewhere. So that we're better positioned to defend the pass. If that's, if it's a passing team that, that they're dealing with. So that's really, I think, the most important thing is just opening up the door to some more flexibility so that way you're not stuck with the same answers for a bunch of different problems. I think that's what gave Ohio State the most issues in the past game last year. We kind of talked about the fact that the talent necessarily wasn't up to what Ohio State standards had been, especially on uh, the defensive backfield side of the conversation. But Ohio State right now, as we are recording just after one o'clock Eastern time on Friday, we're like an hour removed from getting news that JT Tuomolo has canceled his visit to Alabama and is going to be 
um, making a decision based off the four schools that he has visited, Ohio State, Oregon, Washington, and USC. We are assuming that at some point in, I, I guess, sometime soon, we're going to get confirmation that Pallier Note Note is actually going to play football for Ohio State. We know he's a student there and in Columbus, but it hasn't been officially announced. You are a West Coast guy. You live in the San Diego area. So these are West Coast players that you know, Ohio State may be getting um, for this fall. What about these two guys? And they're obviously very different circumstances, but both five-star recruits when they, you know, JT now and, and Pallier when he came out a few years ago, what would the addition of both or either of these two guys mean to Ohio State's defense this fall specifically? So we're talking about number one, let me say that this was also good news for me as a USC fan to see the JT yeah. canceled his Alabama <laughs> visit. You know, I feel a little bit more hopeful right now, but you know, when we're talking about, you know, from the recruiting end, bringing in guys like this, you know, it's just having that blue chip talent. I'm sure, you know, again, you know, when we're talking with college football fans to listen to this podcast. I'm sure that they're familiar with guys like Bud Elliott who talk about mm-hmm. things like the blue chip ratio mm-hmm. and kind of where that's going. And I've had conversations with him on podcasts and I think that, Now where we're at in college football, the blue chip ratio almost isn't sufficient to talk about who the true contenders are. It's about being at, you know, the highest tier, the highest threshold. And that's what needs to be added to the defense for Ohio State. Um, I think that they've done a great job on the offensive end, you know, in their wide receiver room with adding that level of talent, Um, you know, especially with guys like Chris Olave coming back, you know, you can almost close your eyes and envision a good offense because of what they've been able to bring in from a talent perspective on that end of the ball. So being able to do the same defensively is going to be huge for them because there are just going to be certain scenarios where the answer isn't running a different coverage. The answer isn't running a different front. (laughs) It's just having the dudes. Yeah. You have to have better players. Like that's just what it is at times. And that's what I think Ohio State is probably focusing in on. And some of this, to me, it's a natural just roster turnover thing. You know, Clemson coming off of Deshaun Watson two years in a national championship had to deal with, you know, a year of, not, of having Kelly Bryant at quarterback before you get a Trevor Lawrence, you know. And Alabama has had a nine and three year, you know, coming off of national title title runs. So these things do happen. You know, they had, like I said, generational pass rushers for a while. They had a year where they had three NFL caliber defensive backs on the field, if not four, Mm -hmm. you know, on the field at the same time. So it's just a natural roster turnover issue, but the fact that they're attacking this as aggressively as they have, you know, whether it's through the transfer portal or, you know, going out and recruiting these blue chip number one prospect type guys on the defensive end, I think that that bodes well for Ohio State's understanding of what level they need to be at on both ends of the ball if they have aspirations of being true national title contenders perennially. Yeah, and again, I want to caution, this is going to come out uh, early next week. So who knows if by the time this comes out, people know where JT is going to go. But as of now, like we don't know anything other than the fact that he said he's just considering those schools. So I don't, I don't want to put the cart before the horse or count any chickens before they actually come home. Um, but as you said, from a USC perspective, whenever a, the number one player in the country eliminates Alabama from the conversation, that's a good thing for everybody else. And uh, we will just have to wait and see what, what comes from that. Um, right. But um, I want to want to kind of ramp this up with talking about what it is that, 
fans can see from the early games in the season, especially because they're playing a conference team in Minnesota to open the, the, the schedule, and then they come back the following week with their home opener against Oregon. What should fans be looking for from a defensive standpoint, whether that's in terms of production or small things or scheme or who's on the field or whatever it is that they might be able to say, okay, it's not going to be a, you know, flip a switch. Ohio State's going to go from the 122nd rated pass defense last year to like a top 10. But what should they be looking for to make sure that they can see if there's been significant improvement to what's happening in that part of the defensive game? So to me, I think that what it would what it would behoove Ohio State fan to really kind of hone in on is what the defense looks like in second and long situations, in third down situations. You know, I, I do think that they're going to come out, you know, playing very well early in the season. So if they do rack up a 14, you know, 17 point lead against a team like Minnesota, keep an eye on what happens with the defense then when they, when they know that an offense has to pass to stay in the game. You know, are there personnel changes? Um, do you see, you know, more pressure? Or are they still just rushing with four? You'll get a pretty good idea, especially because it's early in the year. And, you know, speaking as a coach, you're building up throughout the year in terms of how much defense you're going to run. You'll get a pretty good feel of what the imprint, you know, defensively will be throughout the year. That's something that I think that you can reliably see on like passing down. So like I said, second and long, two minute, you know, end of half, end of game situations, third down scenarios. And when Ohio State has the lead and they know the offenses have to pass to get back in the game, you'll get a good feel for, you know, exactly what it is that this defense believes it can do from a coverage perspective. Up front, I expect them to be just as good, you know, as they've been. You know, the more the most important thing is just seeing kind of what how things break down for them in terms of what coverages they're running and the kind of guys that they are using in coverage. And I would not be surprised, especially early, if we see a lot of mixing up with different pressures and trying to show a, a bunch of different coverage looks as they sort out exactly how much they can trust their guys on the back end to be able to hold up in coverage. And the more you see early, I think the better it bodes for the team going going later into the year. Is that because the more you see early, the the more it indicates that they'll be able to add to it the the further the season goes? Absolutely. And that also indicates trust. You know, if, if Kerry Coons yeah. is OK with opening up his playbook and going a little bit deeper into it early in the season, to me, that would indicate the fact that all the guys who they're using have picked up on, you know, whatever it is he's asking them to do defensively, or he feels very confident that he can create packages of defense with certain personnel groupings that can do certain things well. And that's also an important deal when we start talking about all the different kinds of offenses that Ohio State's going to see because they play in a conference that has a lot of run heavy teams and all the national champion, all the national championship contenders don't necessarily run offense that way. So they're going to get a pretty good diversity of looks. And if they have a diversity of coverages and pressures and things like that, that's going to tell me as an analyst and you guys as fans that clearly Ohio State has a mind for, okay, we're not only playing for a Big Ten title, we are playing into January. We need to prep, we need to prep ourselves for mid-January games, for these playoff games, for these national championship games. And even if they're not necessarily looking ahead, quote unquote, they have an understanding of what they need to be prepared for based on their aspirations to be a national powerhouse year in and year out. 
Yeah, and it's not dissimilar from what we've heard from Ohio State coaches for years, is that there's always some sort of preparation being done to play Michigan. Even if they're in week one, they're doing something that that pertains to their preparation for that. I I agree. I feel like at this point they need to be saying, yes, you continue to do that against your rival, but also we need to be doing things to prepare for the elite teams that we can play in in the playoff, especially when it's, you know, right now when it's still just a four-team playoff, it's only a handful of teams that you could probably be playing. Um, So do something to prepare for Alabama, do something to prepare for Clemson, etc. I'll I'll finish on this question because this is something that we got a ton of feedback from in our mentions, especially after the national championship game. And this idea that like, like the Peter principle where like Kerry Combs has done such a good job at everything he's done at Ohio State, did well in the NFL, but then he comes back to Ohio State as a defensive coordinator and he's a little bit out of his element and he doesn't have the skills to be the defensive coordinator. Now, I don't necessarily buy into that, but I don't know what the hell I'm actually talking about. You do. Is there any reason to think that Kerry Combs is out of his depth in terms of the scheme aspect of his job as defensive coordinator? Or do Ohio State fans need to do what they actually need to do in most cases and take a deep breath and settle the hell down and then like let things work themselves out, especially coming off in a ridiculously bizarre year where they played in the middle of a pandemic? Yes, I, I would I would side on the latter. And I do think that it's important to keep in perspective how almost like historically good from a talent perspective, Ohio State had it for the last couple of years. And that can kind of warp your perspective a bit. You know, it changes your expectations of what you think you're going to see defensively, really just with your football team in general. You know, because on the same end, I there will be the same kind of anxiety if Ohio State came out this year and they were 75th, you know, in passing EPA, you know. Yeah. Everybody will be looking around and saying, you know, this is not what is expected of a Ryan Day offense based on what we've seen over X amount of years. So, you know, between the circumstances of a new co-defensive coordinator coming in, you know, in the middle of the pandemic, not having a real spring season, having a battle to get the season that they had in the first place, don't get a full fall camp. He has to get a feel for, you know, getting reacclimated for the college game. That is a part of it. So I understand the criticism of him as a coach on that end, but, you know, keeping all of those circumstances in perspective, as well as the fact that, you know, from a talent, you know, type of perspective, I don't think that in the last four or five years, he could have walked in where there was maybe less just elite blue chip NFL level talent ready for him to use. Um, So from that perspective, obviously, you know, he didn't have it as good as Greg Madison, maybe had had it, you know, in years prior. So that is something that you need to keep that I would say that Ohio State fans need to keep in mind. But I think it's fair as a national championship level team to keep the fire up. You know, you want to keep the heat on because that's what the expectation is. I I just do think that we always have to keep in mind, you know, and I I say this as a USC fan who has not sniffed this type of thing in 2021. So we're going on like 14 years now, 13 years now um, that you got it pretty good right now. You got it pretty good. Yeah. You can kind of, there are a certain amount of wins that you can kind of count. You know, you never want to guarantee anything, but you can look at the schedule and just based on talent, feel pretty good about, you know, the, the season going a particular kind of way. Thank you for listening to this episode of Land Grant Holy Land in conversation. Also, thanks, of course, to the great Deontay Lee. We will have links to his social media and his website and newsletter, The Post Corner, in the show notes and in the article version on LandGrantHolyLand.com. But you can follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore D Lee. That's PFF underscore D-L-E-E. 
If you're finding this episode on the aforementioned landgrantholyland.com, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We are there. We are cranking out episodes nearly every single weekday, and there will be more once the football season starts. And they all have unique perspectives, voices, and focuses that you won't hear anywhere else in the Buckeye podcasting universe. Also, don't forget to follow Land Grant Holy Land on Twitter at LandGrant33. You can find me at BWWMatt. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. And as always, go Bucks.